Yeah, we can we can we can just roll. Well, let's let's do that. Let's get started. There's it's it's late at night for us right now. It's been a long long opening weekend. Man. Um and we're we we're going to I guess we'll just bullet it out here. We've got a uh kind of a combo platter like a a turf and turf. We've got a, <laughs> um right? So cuz we're all we're all on land here, but right. we, so we're we're doing a, a co-hosted podcast. Uh it's going to be Pheasants Forever's on the wing podcast and, and, and we were teaming up right. with south dakota game fishing parks podcast and blast yes right. so we're just coming together uh a lot of reasons it's it's opening weekend in south dakota right. which it's called it's called the mount rushmore state but um yeah. i think it should just be the pheasant no. state we yeah. looked that up i was shocked actually um but we can talk about that later and so with me podcast producer jake schiller hey jake he's he, he's in the room he's tall by the way yeah, he's, he's like 19 <laughs> feet tall. He's, six, he's the cattail kid. He's, he's six. He's six four. He's he's like six four, but he's got the wingspan of a seven footer. Um, and then we also have Matt Matt Morlock, our Pheasants Forever State Coordinator in South Dakota. Uh, and then, well, Chris, I'll let you introduce your your uh, your brood here. Chris Hall, communication specialist and uh, whipping boy. Tommy, would you say that? It's a good definition, right? Tommy, uh, Tom Kirschman, you used to be with Pheasants Forever, I and was. now you are the Wildlife your... Division Deputy Director and Chief of Wildlife. Man, that's a great title. That's it's a, a loaded such one. a great title. And then we've got Mark Norton, and Mark Norton is our public lands coordinator, farm bill guru, right? Yeah, on the access and farm bill coordinator. Right, and I think Mark's probably been trying to already hide a couple extra pheasants because he knows where they're all at. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we're we're gonna get to that, and then I suppose I don't I don't think I introduced myself. I'm Anthony Helk, uh, sem- semi-regular co-host. Bob St. Pierre's off this week. Thank he, God you left him. He, at he, home. he drew oh the short. He, he drew the short straw. So he didn't get to go on the rooster road trip, and that's also why we're out here. You know, right. there's a lot of bullets to cover here, but we got pheasant opening weekend in South Dakota. Uh, it's it's also hundredth season, right? Hundredth right. hundredth yeah. season of pheasant hunting in South Dakota. I've heard seen the term pheasant pheasantennial used uh, semi frequently. Yeah, that's not and then ours, but yeah. and then yes, our, our rooster road trip uh, is kicking off, and so we've been. Um, we just got right after it. We we drove out for the opener. We've been hanging around Pier, uh, and, and and the Grasslands and Kennebec and North of Pier and right East on. of Pier. We've been driving around, having a good time, and uh, so we can talk a little bit about um, our own opening weekend and then what you know what maybe you guys saw out in the field. That seems probably as good a place to start as yeah, any. I think so. It seems logical. Every year you should kick it off from South Dakota, shouldn't you? <sighs> I think so. We're sort of biased, though. I mean, well. It's, it's just fun right. to be out here. You know, it's like, um, I, I was, what I was doing was we, when we've been driving around is like looking for the vehicles with, with people who weren't wearing blaze orange right. and there's, there's, there's way more people wearing blaze orange, right. which is yeah. just, you think about like how the country is these days with like right. fewer, I mean, hunters make up less and less of a percentage of the population. And then you come here and it's like, well, that's not true. Right. <laughs> Everybody here hunts. Everybody's got blaze orange on and you know, no matter where we went, right. the C store, we're, at, we're hanging at the Super 8. You go to Arby's, you're driving the back road, the residential street, everybody's right. got Blaze Orange. So that that's fun to see. That's what makes it fun to come out here. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the hunting, we saw a lot of birds. That's been good. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of standing crops. Yeah. It was hot. The hunting's going to get better, but just the atmosphere of being here, that's, that's right. really it's, what I it, like. The, the tradition is, is, and we, we talk about it all the time. It's like opening weekend is just kind of this, okay, you know, it's, it's coming. It's kind of like Christmas, but then when everybody sh- starts showing up and it's your friends and it's just like, well, how many birds do you shoot? I don't even know, like mm. five or six. And we had four guys and we missed some shots and we're all laughing, but it, it's the tradition. It's the pheasant poppers. It's the, you know, drinking beer on a tailgate after the hunt. It's man, that dog's another year older. I mean, that's, that's the really cool thing. And my dad just moved I'm a fifth generation kid from Siston, South Dakota. And my dad just moved from Siston up to Northern Minnesota. And the first thing he did is called me on Saturday morning. And he's just like, how are you guys doing? And I was like, it's <laughs> seven o'clock in the morning. We're not duck hunting, Dad. You know, and he's just like, yeah, but is everybody here? You know, and I was like, yes, yes, everybody's here except you. You know, so yeah, it's the tradition. It's the it's the old friends, new friends. You know, the new kids that get to hunt. You know, the new puppy. I mean, and and like I said, I mean, Dakota Martin Pier might be one of the only places in the world. You know, the last four days, people are coming in with shotguns into the store and nobody <laughs> blinks an eye right and that's 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 what it's all about well the hardest thing to do though is to wait till noon yeah to to start so do do we know why we wait till noon just exactly what there's i hear the rumors going around like everybody has a story every everybody yeah. ha- i just there's got to be a fact based it's, it's or just the just the, the way it is and that's just the way it is it's just the way it is no it's it's been around obviously for a long time i have to go back and look but i think the noon start began in the late 40s or early yep. 50s whatever it is it's been and that long it's yep. been a long time yeah it's probably one of the one of the longest traditions within the big tradition of pheasant right. hunting in south dakota and there have been multiple reasons that we've heard. I don't know if there's one true given fact why it starts at noon. Um, one of the most common that we hear, though, is probably to uh, it gives people the opportunity to go visit with folks and spend time on Main Street, little town, yeah. South Dakota. And, um, and then the other one that we often hear about from the landowner side is that one of the reasons why it started later was give landowners the time to get their chores, get their things done in the morning. They're not being bothered. And then the pheasant hunting can begin later on. So well, those are a couple of reasons that we've heard I, throughout I will, the history. I of will it. say this though, even though, uh, Hey, maybe there's, there's not as much just like mom and pop farming operations or whatever. There's still, there's still a lot of farming activity going oh, on. Oh yeah. man. They're, they're, they're busting out here. And, so those, those crops are coming out. So and we'll, we'll call it that. And understand a lot of those landowners are, big time pheasant hunters also and so for them to have opportunity to get some things done before they get to enjoy the hunt is a big part you guys have sold me on that that seems fair that's that's it right that's that's that seems fair well yeah that's what it is well speaking of you know what what we what we hear and and it makes sense to me is that you know hey you're traveling this you're traveling this far it's good economically and we've seen these you know we were doing it last night out at the steakhouse Mm -hmm. um spending some money people were having a good time everybody was a hunter we're, we're talking about bird numbers putting money down it's good it's good for the state mm-hmm. but one thing i saw on the menu i'm going somewhere with this is they had chislick yeah okay and so we had pheasant fest here national pheasant fest it's right. it's pheasants forever's like big signature convention and we had it in sioux falls earlier this year and they were serving chislick there i've never heard of this stuff and then, like, I Dude, come up. Where are you from? I know. And then I come. <laughs> and then I come out here. And then I come out here again. And we're at um, 
Somebody hit me with the cattleman. No, not the cattleman's. Mad the other Marys. one. Mad Marys. Mad Marys. Right. Great, great. Yeah, good. I, I don't know if I can. You should be one or the other. They're both no. good. Whatever. But it was great. Ex-wife um, of the cattleman's is Mad Marys. That yeah, was part of the deal. Everybody says that. You no, know, that's <laughs> the honest guy. <laughs> <got> truth. <laughs> so, I'm hoping to try the cattleman before right. we leave, just so I, I don't leave. You know, right. somebody feeling yeah, yeah, bad. Yeah. Like yeah. they're they're all in Mad <laughs> Mary's right. corner, or whatever. No. Um, but it was great. I had the prime rib. I highly recommend it. Um, they're not paying me anything to say that. But they had Chislick there. <laughs> right, right. And I'm like, what is Chislick? Like, what is it? I'm looking at Morlock going, come on. It's, and it's, I, well, I feel like I'm getting the same look because. Well, it's true Chislick, like growing up, true Chislick is sheep. It's mutton. Okay. And it was the lesser cuts of the mutton and, well, not like any – you know, no offense to I, I raised sheep when I was a kid, but lamb is good, but mutton gets a little oof. So it's just seriously <laughs> down in the southeast corner and up in in TK's corner of the world, up in Eureka and in Siston. I mean, my family ran the meat locker. True Chislick is sheep or rabbit is the mm. other one, but now Chislick has turned to an, into a beef thing, and it, it's just some of maybe not the prime cuts of meat, and they cut it up, we cube it up, you season it, you deep fat fry it, flash fry it really quick. And it's spectacular. All right. I'm going to give it a try. And so he, so here's the deal. Schaumburg, in six months, I will bring pheasant, and I will make you boys pheasant chislick, and it is unbelievable. All right. Sch- Schaumburg's where we're, we're fe- National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic will be held. I will next, bring a 2019 cooler. event. I will bring a cooler. You, you bring whatever beer we're sponsored by or not <laughs> sponsored by. <laughs> It'll, it, but that, and that is one of those kind of traditional things. You know, you have these recipes like poppers or whatever with pheasant or whatever, but Chislik is a, just a staple. And I've, I've taken it all over the country with my job and people are just like, why didn't we think of this? And it's like, yeah, it's grease and salt and pepper <laughs> and meat, right? It's, but it's not breaded, so it's healthy. That's right. right. Well, it's, I went grouse hunting, you know, like a decade ago in, in the upper peninsula uh, and they have like pasties there right yeah. and it was it's like the same type of deal i was like you know like that that off the farm comment like well what's a pasty and and like the whole everybody everybody's just, just in, looks, in, right? cr- incredulous you know it's like being turn- in ne- nebraska not knowing what a runza is and everybody <laughs> i don't just, i have no idea what that oh, is man. You, I, I i don't yeah, they're fantastic too so they're not chiselic though okay well we got that out of the way I right was, i was really curious so <laughs> uh, Right, Kook right. and uh, Tommy could probably make you one right now. You can't come out to <laughs> South Dakota on the opening week and not have German food somewhere. Right. You just can't do that. You can't leave the state until you have German food somewhere. Right. We haven't so had, well, it's You're prim- going to have to find some. I'm, I'm assuming prime rib isn't German. Not going to cut it, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> you need to find some dumplings or strudels or niffla soup. soup or something, right. by gosh. Well, <laughs> well, do we got a couple more days to- here. You know, th- that's uh, – we're uh, we're in pier for a couple more days, right. and then we're going to head to, you know, kind of like maybe north of Gettysburg, Eureka-type right. country. That's his, You've got to stop and get a kook in You're on your way. Yeah. You have yep. to. You're yep. well on your way now. Yep. Okay. That's, I'll make a shot you, for you. Right. You, you ask Howard how good a good German home-cooked meal is after a long day of pheasant hunting. Where should they stop and get a kook in if they get to Eureka? Is it the bakery? Uh, is the bakery Baker's still there? Baker's not open anymore. There's two other places yeah, that make Coogan, though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. All you right. You got to get one. We'll we'll do that. Well, that that's that's part of the experience, you know. That's right. That, that right. You know, coming out to the. Uh, 
I'm a small town guy, but I, I, um, I, I live in a city of 2.5, 3 million people now. So right. you feel like you're getting back to your roots, this yeah. kind of stuff. Right. We get, we got where I'm from, which is near South Dakota border, but Madison, Minnesota, it's the Ludafis capital. Mm-hmm. That's arguable, but yeah. Well, I've, <laughs> I've been to Madison and yep, but yeah, it's, you know, there, there's sometimes you wish you could be known for something else. <laughs> right. Yes. You know? It's yeah. like, like you're I not would. the pheasant capital. You're the Ludafus capital. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah. The smelly kitchen capital. <laughs> well, speaking of pheasant capital, you guys, like, let's let's talk hunting reports opening weekend. I mean, the numbers were up like statewide from the survey, forty-seven percent. Some right. spots in eastern South Dakota like doubled, mm-hmm. which isn't is very encouraging. Um, you know, conditions were just, it's kind of, it's, that's just the story these days is there's a lot of crops in and the weather can be hot and dry and whatever, but what, uh, what was kind of the overall vibe after the opening weekend? I I mean, you know, from what I saw last night, I, I got a hold of all our regional manager game managers. And the one thing that really surprised me was the guys from the Northeast saying, you know, two birds, a hunter in a lot of these counties. And it was just like, you know, and that's where I'm from. It was just like, wow, you know, what a rebound. Yeah. Um, that's a big jump from the last couple of years right. in terms of success, especially on opening weekend for those folks. Yeah. And that's certainly what we saw from the surveys and seemed to hold true here on opening weekend. Right. Um, Mark, were you hunting this weekend? I did a little bit. I wasn't actually out during the noon after opener. I was grouse hunting on the grasslands Saturday You're morning. So smart. And if they, you know, if they open that season up before noon, I might have had a few roosters, but yeah. <laughs> I had to let them go. <laughs> uh, well, we'll take the grouse report, too, because we were out there. We got licked pretty good on Saturday morning. We saw a few birds, but they were pretty cagey. And then we, we turned our attention to, you know, the, right. the, the, uh, the, the, the ring necks. But give us, give us the, you know, tell us how you hunt mid-season grouse on the grassland. That's what I want to know. Mid-season grouse. You just keep walking and walking yeah. and walking. Grouse hunting, you, you find them where you find them. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's no there's no secret to it uh you just got to put in your time usually actually i only walked for an hour and a half saturday morning and i had a chance at my limit so i actually saw more grouse this saturday morning than i've seen earlier in the season grouse hunting so and maybe maybe we bailed too early but i gave saint pierre a tip on uh, the second weekend of grouse hunting season and he went out in five minutes shot a limit of prairie chickens and then went out again the next day still didn't get a call on an invite he came and watched my band play still didn't get an invite so i'm really glad he didn't bring him along but uh <laughs> well ru- rumor had it he was in south dakota he um, is yeah, somewhere. i think out you know perhaps wessington springs right he's some other he, he's some a terrible human being but no, you know, we saw one to two birds. Uh, you know, I think out west, uh, it was a little bit of surprise. It was like more 0.5 to one. But a lot of hunters are kind of starting to hunt that west all the way. You know, even Custer County, which mm-hmm. I was just like, what? You know, Custer County and Fall River. You know, and there's there's some good stuff out there. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, even the places down in our southeast corner where it's still pretty wet and there's all the crops are still in, but it's right. wet and even kind of hard to get around. Man, hunters were saying, wow, we're seeing a lot more birds, probably even more than what our brood counts were saying. And they were at 1.5, two birds. I mean, they were, yeah, people are doing well, and everybody's happy. It's it's the opener. Yeah. Again, when you look at the last couple of years, not only the brood routes, but what we heard today and yesterday is that, again, what we saw is numbers really had a nice jump in that central to east central, way in the eastern side of the state, and it held true. 
and mm-hmm. guys are seeing birds, and it's only going to get better. Yeah. With all the crops standing, there's no doubt late season will be a phenomenal. Well, the other the other thing I uh, that I like to do when I'm out here this early in the season is I play like the old license plate game. Oh, yeah. You see how far people have yep. you, how how far people have traveled. Boom! First morning, we're out on the grasslands. There's some guys, Texas. Right. right. Sure. Mm-hmm. They've driven up from Texas. They were doing some grouse hunting, gonna go hit pheasants later. Uh we have a guy at the hotel who drove up from Georgia, mm-hmm. twenty six hour drive by yep. himself. Right. You know, I mean it's, it's crazy. I'm trying to think what else what else have I seen? Michigan. Michigan. That's a haul. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Tennessee. I saw two Tennessee plates today and I stopped and talked to them about the volunteers, but because that's my team. But yeah, it's they come from everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Colorado, those were the guys yeah. that that beat us to the the walk-in area. So you just start thinking about right. it. I mean, it's it, it you know you have to remind yourself just what an incredible draw it is. And you know one thing I like, so I like oversee pheasants forever is like so some of our social media, and it's like you see people comment. They're like, oh, I've always wanted to go to South Dakota. I've always wanted to go to South Dakota, and I'm like, just go. Right. <laughs> but what what would you guys? I'm curious, what would you tell people like, I think first off, the, the the thing that people don't do is they just don't like call a biologist or just ask. Like most people are apt to like share information, but I'm just curious, like we got, we got like some biologists in the room. Like if, do you guys get calls from people? <laughs> Every year. Yeah. Every year. All the time. Yeah. yeah they'll, they'll call and go. I'm coming out to South I'm, Dakota I'm coming out, never time. been there. Where do I go? Yep. So how's that go? Cause I'm sure there's people listening, like, you know. The guy from Georgia had to make a decision, like, I got to come to South Dakota. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy for me as a Minnesotan. I can drive three, four hours, and if I have a dud of a weekend, I, I might come back, right? Right. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm only a few hours away, but you're making a commitment to come from Michigan, Pennsylvania, Virginia. So th- they're calling ahead, and, and how's that go? It varies at times depending on the individual that's calling and what they're looking for. But, I mean, two things that always stick in my mind – you know, these folks have never been here, so they don't have a place to go. So public land or public access yeah. is huge. And so you're going to look and try to give them in a general direction where they could have multiple areas or multiple opportunities, or at least most guys will say, well, I'm willing to drive an hour any direction, and I'm planning to go to so-and-so town. And so try to direct them that way. Um, we'll look at the brood surveys and what a bird numbers look like and be upfront and honest and say, hey, you know, this area might have more public land available to hunt, but I'll also tell you that bird numbers appear to be down versus mm-hmm. over here, and you might want to consider that in your in your final thing. But, you know, it never goes to the thing of saying, boy, go to this GPA or go to this walking area. It never really goes that far. It's at usually least with more, you. Well, at least with me, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, in general context, it's usually a general area, and it yeah. might be a 20, 30-mile general right. area and say, geez, you know, or somebody would say, man, I'm – I'm going to come to pier. Where do I go from pier? And then I'll say, okay, well, heck, you can go any direction an hour out and you're going to find pheasants. Right. And if you go this direction, you have a better opportunity to find some grouse. And you could find the right place and have sharp tails, prairie chickens, and pheasant all in the same walk. You know, and so yeah. they get excited about that stuff, and that's what you try to lean them towards. How about you, Mark? Yeah, pretty similar. I, I give them a general area. Yeah kind of feeling them out for what they're looking for. Usually they do have a, a part of the state in mind where right. they want to go hunting or they've heard about hunting or or maybe they hunted five years ago and they're, they're wanting to go back there or, or, you know, is that area still good or should I go to a different area of the state? Things like that is, is kind of the questions that I get 
yeah, when people I, call in. Well, you know, I um, it's something that I do. I mean, I travel to Upland Hunt like quite a bit, and I'm I'm like shameless. I always contact, <laughs> I always contact a biologist. Right. You know, like again, I'm not looking for hot spotting, but I just think like. Um, it's just one of those tools that you guys are here as a resource. I don't live here. You guys right. are here. And again, I'm, I don't think most people have the expectation that you're just going to like draw. Yeah. I've got I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that I haven't had people just like biologists say like, I'd give that exact area a try, particularly right. later in the season when hunting pressure dips. But, um, you know, if I was planning a trip to South Dakota and had a general idea about like, you know, the region I wanted right. to stay kind of just, you know, right, northeast, right. central, whatever, pier, central, like find the biologist or heck, even just call Game Fish and Parks and find out who the biologist is and give them a call or drop them an email, yeah. right? What's yeah. really fun, too, is you get somebody that comes out and hunts one weekend and they, they'll call you back and say, geez, you know, I hunted this GPA, this specific site, and just didn't find any birds. And it's really fun when you personally know that gpa or that area and you go you know what what you should have done is this or you should have tried this yeah and next time they come back and do it and have success and they'll call you back and go you were spot on man that's what (laughs) i did and man i found birds so it some of it's just you know when folks that come for the first time in some cases they've never hunted some of this type of habitat that they're going to encounter as well and depending on the year it can be way different than maybe what they're used to or accustomed to hunting and so just understanding the time of the year, the habitat makes a huge difference also. Well, we saw, it's kind of a good thing and a bad thing. Like, um, you know, the, the walk-in areas and we hunted some of, um, these new community-based access. We'll talk, we, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but community-based access, like walk-in areas, uh, where Pheasants Forever chapters are, are, and the community is chipping in, um, particularly in regions where there's just not a whole lot of public access. But it was amazing um, how many people this opening weekend, like, they key in on those areas, right? And it just got me wondering, you know, you're seeing vehicles drive by, drive by. Um, Matt mentioned that there's a walk-in area near his his place, and he saw four four groups go through it in one afternoon. And so it got me thinking, like, do you guys track, like, usage on that kind of stuff? I mean, do you know how... Like, do people favor walk-ins over, like, game production areas over? So my genesis for this is we were hunting uh, a Pheasants Forever walk-in in Montana last year. And it's just kind of the same thing. Like, they actually did put some cards out there just to get a little data. And they had, like, mm-hmm. 500, 500 hunters come through that thing in a year. And I, I think in the last decade they've had, like, you know, just like we were talking about people right. from like four, all, all low, lower 48 states. And I was just wondering like if people tend to keep, cause one of the things we noticed, um, I guess this will be a tip for the listeners, but the game production areas seem to be much less utilized than like walk-ins, but that's just anecdotal. Yeah. And I think sometimes the thinking is that they've been hunted so many times that I'm not going to go hunting. Yeah. You know, and on the flip side, I'll tell you that, a lot of public lands could be hunted two or three times in one day, and you can still be successful later on in the day. Yeah, if you're hunting at the right I mean, time it, of the it's, day. So it's, yep. it, it, those happen all the time. But maybe Mark could chime in on on tracking how many hunters use yeah. specific areas, because we've done a little bit of that, but not on a regular basis. But Mark? Yeah, it's been probably eight years or so since we actually did a scientific you're effort. Due. 
to, to <laughs> count the number of use on, on some walking areas. And we did it on GPAs the next year. And, and we actually found that, yeah, they get used a lot. It's pretty much mm. the take-home message. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, uh, so, and it, well, and it doesn't, there wasn't a difference between GPA use and walking yeah. area use. They both are heavily Well, I probably utilized. should finish my thought. The good thing is that people are u- utilizing them. The bad thing is, is there's just not, still not enough of them. You right. know, you'd like to see a little more, which is, which is the idea behind, uh, you know, trying to incentivize the incentives and, 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 and get more of these, um, places enrolled and particularly, right. and, you know, there's just kind of dots or blotches of the state that have really good access and some that, right you know are a little a, a little open still right right, right. that's the best way to put it yeah, yeah and I, I think you know just kind of bringing this all back together you know it i don't know how many pheasant fests i've been to now with the department probably seven or eight or uh you know the thing that that does amaze me is how far we've come as a department with making making this information accessible to the public um, and easily accessible. I remember Secretary Vonk, he was like taller than him. He was nine feet tall and he came in and he, he handed me his, his, his Lowrance, his Lowrance GPS, like it had been 11 years ago or 10 years ago. And he set it down and he handed me the, at, the Atlas and he goes, I want that on that. And I looked at him and I went, I have an English degree. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, but you know, everybody make it happen. So it's kind of started with that on trying to figure out how to how to get these maps accessible to everybody with the handheld are, technology? Are, are you are you the guy behind the app then? Uh, like, um, no, I'm not going to take credit no. for that. I, I've been involved with it heavily, but I I will say that you know. So we said okay, we'll 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 try to figure that out, and we have a great GIS team, and uh, we contacted Garmin, and Garmin was the first people to go. Yeah, we'd love to do that, but we need the maps in this format. And, and one of our GIS guys who now works for Washington State, Chris Marsh, goes, we already have those in that format, and you can have them, you can have them, you know. And, <laughs> like, the next day, like, seven development people from Garmin were here sitting in this room going, what do we need to do to get this? And we're like, you just, you can ha- have it, and we'll put it on a jump drive, and we'll give it out to people. We I remember we had the camouflage right. jump drives, and we right. shipped out tens of thousands of them to hunters. Um, you know, to go from there to, to, you know, putting Wilma was the big one, you know, mm-hmm. the, our access stuff on the web where you can not only, okay, there's a piece of public land, but what does it have it on for crops? What does it have it on for trees? Have right. you burned? I mean, it, the, but the thing that really amazes me is when you go to places and sports shows or you go to Pheasant Fest and the guys from Schaumburg or Bloomington, Minnesota, or, you know, Kansas City, and these guys sit at home and they do this research and they'll come and go, okay, what do you know about this one? And I'm like, I mean, down to the details. <laughs> and 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 I had a guy from from Bloomington who's who's a friend of a friend, and these there was like seven of them standing around our booth in Minneapolis, and they're all just they're just peppering me with questions. I was like, whoa, you guys are serious? And they said, <laughs> we sit around and do like game planning on our hunts to South Dakota and the research and, and, and it is, it really is all there. I mean, you know, if you tell somebody, you know, I want to come to South Dakota and do a bucket list hunt, man, that research is there. I mean, the brood counts, the, you know, hunter per mile, the birds, you know, the bird fork, you know, all the brood count stuff. And then, you know, what's the hunting pressure? How much public land is there right there? I mean, if you sit down and do your research 
and you 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 hunt smart, man. There's no reason you can't come out and have a have a yeah. really good time out here. Well, right. I think so. We're talking about <clears throat> we're alluding to the 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 South Dakota Game Fish and Parks app. Mm-hmm. I'm a um, I guess I'm a a zennial. That's like <laughs> I know I'm I know you're gonna you're gonna like what is that? But it's like. Um, what do we got? Like, there's baby boomers and there's millennials. I'm just in like that little period where I kind of I can trend e- either way. So I got I got like my atlas right. <coughs> so I still like use the atlas, but I'm not averse to using apps too. And I will say, you know, I've the the South Dakota Game Fish and Parks app is outstanding. So if I was coming to South Dakota and doing a bucket list hunt, the first thing I do is call Tom Kirschman or Mark hmm. Norton, biologists to get the lowdown and the skinny on some spots, but I download that app because it is, you know, I even used it just as we're, um, as we're just tracking our progress to, uh, move along the road. Are we close to the area? Right. You know, you use it just, I mean, there's layers and layers and layers and you're looking at it. I, I, we're going to use it tonight to pick out, you know, the spots for tomorrow because we don't know exactly where we're going yet. At least I'm going to. So when we drive across the state, Morlock. my eight-year-old turns this on, and he's tracking as we drive, and we'll be driving along. And he goes, "Dad, on the right-hand side, you got to ask for permission. Left-hand side, it's it's open. You can go hunt that. I mean, he's got the <laughs> right. map figured right. out yeah. where you can right. can hunt and where you have to get permission. Yeah, from. It, it's it's really impressive. I would hi- it's free. Right. Yep. <laughs> it's free, which uh, you know, I mean, what more do you need? Go download it, check it out, play right. around with it. Uh, if you don't come to South Dakota this year, you probably will soon. I, I think I figured it out at one point, like when I was crunching some numbers, like in any given year, like 15% of active pheasant hunters are coming to South Dakota, like 15 to 20%. So download that app. It'll, it's a good number. Yeah. You'd like to see it be, be I, higher, I would like obviously. But, um, but uh, the funny thing is we got a, uh, I got an email from our, our BIT, the Bureau of Information Technology, on I think it was Wednesday, saying, "Hey, would you send out an email to all the pheasant hunters, asking them to please feel free to download the atlas and and the public land stuff ahead of the pheasant season because last year you crashed they crashed our servers." So I sent out an email to like two hundred thousand you know non resident resident pheasant hunters, going, "Hey, you guys, you all know the guys and gals, you all know this is here and it's there, but just giving you a heads up, download it now and get it." You know, don't don't be what? using your minutes, you know, your quote-unquote <laughs> minutes. And get it on your phone. Use a little bit of memory. Yeah, I mean, they sent it to us, and they said literally crash the servers last year. It doesn't matter. So that, cool. that's, that's the date. Even the data breach in South Dakota right. or whatever, yeah. it, it right. all, re- all relates back to pheasants, right? Right. Uh, well, one thing I wanted to, you, you know, I did want to, I'd be remiss if we got Tom Kirschman here. You know, he used to work at Pheasants Forever. I was curious, like, how far in the way back machine are we going? Way back. Way back way machine. Back. <laughs> Let's say, um, so I started with PF in the summer, July of 95. And okay. at that time, there was, I believe, eight field reps nationwide. So that was interesting. So the first staff meeting I went to uh, in Belgrade, Nebraska, uh, in the fall of 95, there was Jeff Finden, Howard Vincent, and... Uh, I'm forgetting one other that came down, and then there was like eight field reps. And that so like was, a dozen people, basically. Yeah, it was it was amazing. Yeah. And compared to what it is right now, when you get everybody together for a pheasant fest or something like that, so it's really neat. But uh, yeah, I had the 
great opportunity when I finished graduate school, came on with PF and I covered Illinois and Indiana for five years, had the opportunity to come back to South Dakota and covered South Dakota and Wyoming for another five, and then joined the uh, Department of Game, Fish, and Parks as the pheasant biologist and here today. Yeah, it, it's always it's always interesting to me. Um, you, you just try to like put things into context and perspective, and it's like, you, you know, I guess we'll, we'll be doing a little horn tooting here, but like, you know, when I think about where Pheasants Forever is in just like three and a half decades, but even yeah. like, even just like two decades ago, we only had like 20 employees, right. you know? Right. You know, so yeah. you just think about how much work happened on like the backs of volunteers yeah. early on, just doing things, and um, you know now now the the professional network has has spanned quite a bit with like the expansion of our farm bill biologist program, right. which right. you know consult with like or landowners they consult with landowners and, and work up habitat management plans and work to help them enroll in conservation programs, but that has expanded. Um, so greatly that, you know, now we're, I think, pushing 400 employees. Right. Um, right. And it's just kind of, it's, it's just kind of mind boggling to me to see where we've come, you know, from a guy like you who just, you know, in in basically a quarter century, it's man, that's some serious growth. And I I have to admit, I remember going out to Illinois that first fall and, and it's one of my favorite stories. The, one of the local PF chapters, several of them call me and go, well, you're going to join us for pheasant opener in Illinois, right? I said, sure, great, appreciate that. And <laughs> they go, well, be at our place for at 6 o'clock for breakfast. And I go, why? You know, and I'm used to the noon opener, and it's sunrise in right. Illinois. Like, what the heck are we doing here? <laughs> it was just odd. And then the other part was, you know, public land in Illinois, you had to put in for a lottery drawing to yeah. get selected to hunt it. And it was just like, oh, my goodness. And the first day that I did a private lands hunt with another gentleman, we walked from sunrise to sunset, and we flushed one hen the entire day. And I was like, okay, I'm not oh, used to this business. Yeah. And and so I quickly talked him into going, we need to make a trip back to South Dakota, and I'm going to show <laughs> you what Pheasant is about because he was originally from Tennessee, Alabama area. And, uh, yeah, that became an annual tradition then to bring him out here to hunt pheasant. All right. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I was just going to say, today, Tom, it, we talked about the Farm Bill Biology Partnership. He was there for that. He's the one that started, kind of started that rolling. And good or bad, he's the one that hired me in Pheasants Forever 16 years oh, ago. Oh, now it's all coming out. Yeah. Right. There's a full circle to everything. You know? things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matt was one of the first original Farm Bill biologists. I think we hired four at that time. Four, yep. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that was kicked off that whole program right here in South Dakota. Yep. 2004, That's I believe it was. Three. Three, yeah. 2003, 2004. Yep. And it still exists in South Dakota. Don't worry, it folks. It does. So we, Going strong. Yeah, what are Going we up strong. to now? Ask me that in about two weeks. We'll be up to about 19 at that point. Oh, wow. But right now we're sitting at 13. Well, that's good. You know, well, I don't feel bad about saying that because, you know, I kind of I wondered whether or not I was, I was going to, you know, cover some of this ground. But uh, um, you can get kind of, like, institutionalized and you think you know things about your organization but sometimes you gotta you gotta talk to people, and you're out there. And so we we did meet some hunters that, I guess they had kind of a different view of what Pheasants Forever does. You know, they were under the the mistaken they're hunting one of these community based access properties, right? That that we've partnered on. We meaning Pheasants Forever chapters, Game Fish and Parks, CVBs, yeah, yeah, chambers, the community. Right. And I think um, at its core, that's what Pheasants Forever is. You know, is about habitat 
access. That's why we're doing this rooster road trip. That's why we're talking about it. But you know, it's just, things are all relative. And so this group of hunters, I mean, I'll try to, I'll try to be somewhat, um, you know, you know, not incriminating, but it, their, their view was that, well, all you guys, all you guys do is give seed to big outfits and, you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it, <laughs> I kind of want to just like clench my fists and I'm like, you work so hard to talk about what you do. Now, don't get me wrong. We have like, you know, seed programs and discounted seed programs and blah, blah, blah. But there's such a, there's such a minuscule part of what we do. You know, the overriding thing is like, the overriding thing is habitat, private land habitat, public land habitat, access, you know, and it's just, uh, it's, fr- so, it, I mean, how do you guys deal with that? Just like, you know, on a, on a day-to-day basis, just mm-hmm. trying to like, you work so hard to shout your message and to get everybody on board. It's a good thing, right? Everybody's doing good things, but like, how do you, how do you, how do you crank those gears and get people to kind of understand like, these are the big issues here. Yeah. Well, related to what you just described there, obviously there are a lot of hunters that come to South Dakota and other states as well to go hunt pheasants that, you know, they don't know the work that goes into all the different habitat works yeah. and stuff. But what they are very familiar with are food plots because it is a commonly <laughs> yeah, hunted yeah. habitat type, you know. And so food plots become very centric real fast. Yeah. Because it's something they can relate to. That's what a lot of guys hunt. That's what they walk, find a lot of birds. And so food plots become almost more important than a lot of the other parts. Uh, they, they fixate on it. Well, and again, because that's what you're used to and that's what you see when you're out there in the field being successful yeah. in many situations. And so, you know, at times as a biologist or a former biologist and, and habitat manager and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, former. Former. <laughs> You know, you preach and preach about the things that you need to make pheasants. And it's, you know, survival habitat and reproductive yeah. habitat. And that's the grassland nesting cover and the essential habitat components in the winter. And food plots are part of that also. Um, but it's really easy to become fixated on that. And that's not the number one habitat type we need to focus on to have more pheasants. But it's one that a lot of people relate to because that's what they're hunting in quite frequently. Yeah. That makes sense. I can see that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do some trial and error in my community. You know, I'm still crafting all my communication. Your, the, your communication is always evolving, right, Chris? Right. You know. Yeah. De- <laughs> dealing with the, what I call, unenlightened. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, no one wanted yeah. to bite. Hey, right. thankfully, yeah. thankfully they had, they, they did, uh, they were familiar with the rooster road trip. So that was a right. step. So they had a they had a good hunt. We heard some shooting. I think they and then they came back and talked to us and they got three roosters and a prairie chicken. So yeah. we felt pretty good about that. Good. Yeah. We meaning me speaking for pheasants forever and game fishing parks. That's what you want to <coughs> yeah, see. Some, we're okay with that. Some success sure. on those areas. So well, uh, how long do you have to not practice biology um, before you're just like a former biologist? I'm not sure. I'll just keep. Question talking like i know what i'm talking about but i'm not sure i do anymore but uh no I, I, you're just doing too much administrative work or what I, I don't know maybe maybe not but uh habitat's always fun to talk about and then people really get excited about it and you know it's always fun to talk to our actual biologists and managers you mentioned the farm bill biologists i mean those folks get extremely excited when they get to go up and talk to people about building habitat and yeah. it's always fun and refreshing to see that People have a lot of fun talking about it. And even more importantly, 
how excited landowners get that really have an interest when they learn something new or try something different and they have success in it. There's nothing more fun to see those folks get excited about habitat than it is the birds themselves. They just get a hoot out of that. Right? Yeah. Well, we did talk to another, I guess this is the thing. It's like a drumbeat. That's what it is. You got to keep saying it. There's always somebody who might, might not know, might not have heard. They might not be a member. They don't read the magazine. They don't, haven't downloaded the app, whatever it is. And we, we talked to a gentleman who, um, it was his, his land that was enrolled, enrolled in the walk-in area. And he was actually telling us, uh, that this, this was opening day and we, we, we talked to him for a good long while, maybe an hour, you know, Mm -hmm. just in the middle of the road. Um, which is probably odd that we didn't have a vehicle come by in all that time, but we, you know, we said, thanks for enrolling. We really appreciate it. And, uh, and then one thing he mentioned was that, well, I have some other ground. I think I'd like to get into CRP, but I haven't heard anything about that, you know? And (laughs) so it's like, Hey, let's talk. You know, yeah. we'll stay in touch. I mean, hey, if that means if some more acres of CRP and a little more access, and right. um, I would have thought he would have just for sure have heard about what's going on. But right. hey, it's harvest. You're busy. Things are happening. Doesn't mean you know what's going on with the farm bill or right. or uh, it expiring or when when you know the next enrollment is going to be. So you just yeah, I'm learning some things out here. Right. I it is funny because. Mark Norton's pretty quiet, but his his cube is right across the hall from me, and I think your phone has been just going off. I mean, it's just <laughs> been ringing constantly for the last six weeks. Yeah, there's been there's been a lot of interest in in landowners wanting to put land in CRP in South Dakota, without a doubt. And it's been that way for the last two years. And uh, with the last farm bill, when they lowered that national cap, it really really uh, limited the ability, the opportunities for landowners to enroll their land in CRP. And it's been very competitive ever since, and there's a lot of demand out there right now, and there's no opportunity right now. But hopefully next year uh, things will change. What what are we at CRP-wise in South Dakota right uh, now? We're at uh, just a little over 1 million acres. Okay. I, I think, well, let me ask you this. What, what uh, number would you would you like it to be at i mean that's like you know maybe like a reasonable expectation well we'd like it to be close to 1.5 million um and you know we don't control the national budget and where money's coming from so uh but i i think there's there's demand out there from landowners in south dakota to to sustain 1.5 million acres of crp pheasants forever that's that's an i wanted to get your take on that, because that's something I think we've been in lockstep with, and that that's a that's a number like a state specific number for South Dakota that we've been very supportive of and would like to see is 1.5 million acres. So I guess my question for you is, like, what would that mean for the pheasant population? I mean, I know this is a, is a bit speculative, but we've probably been there before at some point, right? We have, and and yeah. I and I realize like. You know, I don't know where all those <laughs> all those acres would go exactly, but I mean, just kind of in a best case scenario, you you add four hundred thousand acres, and you 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 know, at some point the weather's going to be good. What does that do to South Dakota's already strong pheasant population? Well, it's definitely a huge boost in the arm. Uh, I mean, to put numbers to it, it's hard to say, but I mean, you could easily see a twenty five percent increase. I'd say. You know, I, I think it also, you look back at the history and 
a big part of that would be is if we were able to add another 400, 500,000 acres is where you'd put them. Yeah. And where you'd get your most return on your investment. And, and we saw that over the history of CRP when the program really started. We had more acres initially enrolled in the western part of the state. Things changed through EBIs and different things like that. And we saw, and with the wetland practices, we saw some more CRP come to the eastern part of the state. And then, um, so you couple that in more of the traditional pheasant range, and you, we had a string of very good weather conditions and nesting habitat and stuff. Big part of why we reached our 40-year high in the mid-2000s. I mean, that was a big part of it. And, um, and so there were multiple things that played into it. But again, back to the CRP, a huge component is where do you put it and, and what kind of impact would it have then? I mean, if, if another 400,000 acres went out western South Dakota, for example, it's going to have huge benefits for prairie grouse and other wildlife and you know deer and other populations of wildlife, no question about it. And there's going to be pheasants that benefit from it as well. If you look at it strictly from a pheasant standpoint, of all additional four or 500,000 acres went in the eastern part of the state, some of that traditional range, again, from a pheasant perspective, you'd see even a bigger response to it. So a lot of it's going to be location, but regardless of where it's at, it's going to have huge benefits for wildlife. Yeah. I'm, I'm rooting for the heart of the pheasant range, but that's just that's just one man one non-resident's rooting interest. <laughs> <laughs> what? But, you know, this is the thing is, is like I – you, you, Tom, well, anybody listening, if, if, if you have your thoughts, you can let your legislators know, right? It's, I mean, ultimately, at some level, it's your program. I mean, you get to have right, it. Right. We're taxpayers, and we pay for it, and we um, it doesn't mean you get everything you want in life, but you can at least let uh, your legislators know that, hey, I'm supportive of this. And um, I think sometimes those are, those are the things that, uh, you, you know, um, people ask us i mean we've talked about a national cap and stuff but if if you're uh, you're listening and you want to tell your, your legislator that that you hunt okay. in south dakota whether you're a resident or non-resident uh, you're a landowner non-landowner you can let them know that um this is what you'd like to see 1.5 right. million acres in south dakota how do we get there right you know one thing that's very obvious and holds true over time is that you know the one constant is where birds respond in our case we're talking about pheasants here is where large-scale conservation programs have a huge impact going all the way back to soil bank to our modern day crp uh, those are the things that have an impact on long-term trends of pheasant numbers mm -hmm. you know you're going to have annual fluctuations because of weather and other things like that but long-term trends are controlled by those larger landscape conservation programs well speaking of those conservation programs I had it on good accord. Uh, we we got to meet Secretary Game Fishing Park Secretary Kelly Hepler today, and he informed me that Mark Norton, who's in the room with us, has an almost encyclopedic knowledge of the Farm Bill's conservation title, and you get quizzed like every day, right? What was the what was the last what was the last question you what was the last question you got that they threw at you? I just want to see if anyone else in this room could answer it. Well, Tom probably could, but uh, it was actually a question at a we had at a public meeting, and uh, the somebody, other <laughs> somebody asked about. I thought that, I hear there's something about prairie dogs in the farm bill, so mm. it's it's not really related to the conservation title as much. It was it was more so related to setting a buffer to on national 
grassland, so on public land uh, to private land for, for prairie dogs. It's not necessarily a habitat uh, conservation it, title farm bill, but it, that that's an off-the-wall type question, yeah. It is. And you nailed it? You crushed it? I, I probably didn't crush it, but I... <laughs> He knew, I, it, he he knew it, it was there. So, <laughs> He's being he, modest. Yeah. He knew it was there. He crushed it. So do you have you just like read the, the farm bill like cover to cover? I have I've read I the mean, conservation title of the farm okay. bill. Okay. Yes. How many pages is that? <laughs> well, I don't know how I mean the whole farm bill is well, over a thousand pages. Yeah. But I, I don't know just over. what the conservation title is. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well it, but, yeah. It, but, oh I'm glad I'm glad you're doing it. And yeah. reading that, and not me, because that that doesn't sound remarkably. Fun, if you but. go into Mark's office and he's got that like open, you just turn around and walk out. You're like, no, nah, I'm not gonna bother him now. <laughs> he's like in that Doogie Hauser zone, right, where he's just like, just you know, studying up, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, when when the House and the Senate, you know, they're all the stages of making legislation in this country. It, it takes 500 steps before you ever get to an actual farm bill, and so you've got committees doing their stuff yeah so you got to be familiar with what's going on there and then they then it goes to the full body and then the other committee and the other body has to to what? do their own thing and then it goes that and now they're in the, the conference committee so they're trying to figure out which the house or the senate's version uh they want to that, do that's where we're at i mean can you give yeah. us can you just give us a, a little more detail on the farm bill update well it's been pretty hush hush here the last couple months actually it's well it's been in this conference committee uh but I guess the latest I've heard is for CRP, which is what everybody's really interested in, is is they're they're shooting for maybe a 27 million acre national cap. So that would be an increase of of three million acres over what it is now. Undoubtedly, that's going to give landowners a, a better opportunity to enroll in CRP. Um, and they're they're making a bunch of other detailed tweaks to that program uh, that uh, I'm not going to bore you with unless you really want to get into it. But. <laughs> 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 no, no, nobody, nobody really nodded their head and was like, "Yeah, let's jump in that." Well, um, you know, since since we got since we got four South Dakotans in a room, this is one thing I was thinking about. Um, are there any overlooked spots in South Dakota? Not that I want to share with you. Okay, no. <laughs> none. <laughs> All right. Well, that that none. answers that. There are a couple, <laughs> but our coworkers would kill us. That's um, fine. <laughs> So they're out there. They do yeah, exist. Absolutely. They're not. They still do. And, and you know, like I, 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 I'm a fifth generation Siston kid and, and I never hunted a food plot until I moved up here. I mean, our, our deal was late afternoons hitting Peaver Slough or, you know, any of those sloughs up around Lake Travers and north up by White Rock. And, you know, I would be out there in hip boots and, and my dad and uncle would shoot birds and they were like did you see any birds i was like no but i heard you guys shooting because the cattails are over my head <laughs> but thanks it, but it you know it is i mean we get that <clears throat> we we all get that question all the time and and it's you know i i could go i could take you to a spot three miles from watertown and you could see as many pheasants as you've ever seen in your life but you got to want to work for them and you want to got to want to get to them you probably need a chesapeake bay retriever to get them but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they're there, and it's just—I uh, mean—it's how you want to hunt, and in the kind of stuff, and and especially like later in the season, people overlook stuff that that I think you know probably the four of us even growing up in fairly different 
you know, we would look at it and go, man, there's pheasants there and people just drive by it all the time. Um, but it's just, yeah, they're there. I mean, when you hit on this, it varies across the state so much on how you right. hunt these birds. Right. You right. know, I got in trouble once. I told people to go out to Lemon, South Dakota, hunt pheasants. And got a phone call later <laughs> oh, that well, there was there was no food plots there to walk. There's right. no this, no that. I mean, you go out west and you're hunting these plum thicket draws, kosher weeds, stuff and, that you would not right. normally. Somebody coming from the east wouldn't think about hunting. Right. And that's the prime habitat where you go to the James River Valley. This area, it's your what you think of food plot walking, that kind of stuff. Right. Then you go up where Chris and I were from, growing up in the northeast, and it's busting cattails. Right. So that when I get a call like that, that's my first question is, how do you want to hunt them? Right. And then you can go to a different part of the state and do it. That's the cool thing about it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or just go to Lemon, South Dakota. <laughs> yeah. you know? I did not say that. I did <laughs> not say that. Not say that. <laughs> <laughs> these, I just, you know. That we're, was, we're, when I said that, these, I got I, a call from the chapter out there, Pheasants Forever chapter in Lemon, saying, keep it quiet. Right. Dude, Don't, stop, don't right. talk. We don't want people oh, okay. out here. <laughs> I, I just think, like, you know, we you know, I pry a little bit. You got to do that. I'm asking these biologists, like, what do they say? Uh, they're kind of, I think they're kind of being discreet, you know, which is good. Uh, you know, some might even say a little tight lip, but that's, that's you right. You can't just give things away. People right. got to earn it. Right. You know, go to this region, go to that region. Matt Morlock, what do you say? Just go to Lemon, yeah, South Dakota. Go to Lemon. <laughs> why not? Go, go west, young man. <laughs> He's maybe so far away, like, right. he thinks, like, no one will care, and boom, right. it just backfired. Oh, oh it backfired big yeah. time on me on that one. Yeah. Well. I, think, I think I was working for tourism one time, and I, I brought up something about <laughs> northwest South Dakota pheasant hunting, and uh, some of my friends up in that Shade Hill area, it was immediate. They called yep. me, and they're like, dude, you were on TV talking and telling them to come up to Shade Hill and go fishing. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least you kind of used the broad term northwest, right? right? Yeah. It wasn't yeah. just yeah. like, you know. Well, out in that country, if you say one town, I mean, that's covering half of that. Right. Your neighbor's 80 miles away. Right. The next mailbox is 80 miles right. down the road. <laughs> yeah, well. I think I might give lemon a try next year. That sounds yeah. pretty good. It's a bit of a haul, so pick me up on the way. I'll split gas with you. All right, we're I'll, gonna, I'll go with two. We're gonna yeah, do I'm that. In. That it is actually. I shouldn't. You know, it is. Uh, well, more like probably. It's probably in my mind because he said that to me at some point. But uh, that is a region that I've I've yet to pheasant hunt yeah. in South Dakota. You know, and I'm just kind of one of those guys that likes to. But it it does make sense around. if you think about North Dakota and where they shoot most of their pheasants is. Just yeah, right across, right across the, board. the border. Right, right. but it is pick, different hunting. You get to pick up a bonus hunt or two out there too. Yeah, right. absolutely. That was I was just gonna say that. Yep. People talk about that right. the opportunity to harvest a partridge, partridge. in western yeah. South Dakota. And there's grouse yep. Yep. that way, yep. mm-hmm. right? Sharp tails. Sharp tails. Nope. Right. Prairie chickens. We were talking about because we did see a couple prairie chickens today. They're they're kind of confined to the this central part of the state. The uh, more yeah. or less. Yeah. For the most part, yeah. I mean, you, you're going to see them in areas where you do get a little bit farther out from central part of the state that have some mixture of sunflowers and some different agricultural fields. But you're not way out west, it's going to be all sharp tails. Way up north, it's going to be all sharp tails. The big central part of the state is going to have a good mixture of the two. Yeah. Well, we like our mixed bags. Yeah, I like buddy. that. That That's a nice draw, too. They are yeah. fun to come across, though. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't mistake them for a hen. Well, what's what's your what's your favorite bird other than pheasants? To harvest? Yeah. More pheasants. <laughs> no. 
No, honestly, prairie grouse are a lot of fun, but, you know, I'd be remiss myself in growing up in South Dakota. I mean, waterfall hunting's a uh, uh, total blast as well. Yeah, and I'm so, a diver duck hunter. Yeah. 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 He's from the Northeast, so, yeah, yeah. it's going to be a, a diver boy there. Yeah. Well, we won't pry for too many spots there. I'm not telling you any That's fine. Spots. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'll take you there, but I'm not telling you. That's why. That's why. He, that's why he's talking Chesapeake. He can get his pheasants right. at that secret spot. Right. And no, his it's just labs. Right. You're right. you're a grouse hunter though, Marky. Wouldn't you say that? Well, you're a duck hunter though too. You shoot more ducks than I do. Anymore. Yeah, I'm an all around bird hunter. I. Yeah. Yeah. There's not many guys that are bird hunters over deer hunters. I don't think. At least I don't come across many. <laughs> There's a lot of guys that that are deer hunters first. It seems like, and and they do pheasant hunting because mm-hmm. it's easy and it's everywhere in South right. Dakota at least then and, and then you know then you get to the guys that are well duck hunters it, it gets it keeps going down and down and then just right. it is <clears throat> it is Chris maybe you know this it is a pretty remarkable drop off but like hunt, hunting pressure wise like the first couple weeks of the oh, season absolutely. right mm-hmm. and then so what do you think it is 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 it because people it's like Mark says that people are they maybe tilt a little deer first and it drops off, yeah. or is it just you think it's the weather? I think I think it's partially the weather. I think it's also um, deer hunting. Is that's a great point? I haven't really thought about that that much, but I also think it's just tradition too. People are so geared to man that second, you know, that middle of October we're gonna pheasant hunt, you know, and we're gonna hit it hard for a couple months or a couple weeks. And our and our out of state visitors were so in tune for so long, you know, we're coming and it's the tradition and we're gonna come when the orange bright orange carpet is out, yeah. right? And the, these communities like last night, Murdo had a wild game feed and it was it, there's 320 people in Murdo and 600 people in Jones County and there's 400 people at this wild game feed, right? So it's tradition stuff too. But you know, I, I used to when I worked for tourism, I did 10 sports shows a year and everybody, I, I mean to a T and this is 10, 11 years ago, they, nobody came after, you know, the first of November, my God, are you guys, you know, are you living in igloos yeah. then? And, you know, it's just like, no, you just push it back a couple of weeks and wow, the birds will be wild. And it's just like, yeah, but <laughs> there's nobody around. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, and that's, you know, I always used to tell people when I, when I first moved to pier and I started hunting and I figured it out quickly, man, I, I wouldn't go out and, and hunt pheasants you know on public ground until maybe the week before thanksgiving and then we'd be out there and i'd see you know i'd see tommy and i didn't even know tommy but i i saw i knew what his rig was you know and we're hunting these similar areas and we always shot birds but i i think it's weather people are scared of the weather a little bit but i think it's that tradition and deer hunting does come into play because i i know a lot of big time bird hunters that those dogs start getting fat come, you know, West River deer opener because <laughs> the the odd six is, is coming out and the, the eleven hundred is going in the in the in the closet, you know. And but think about the resident hunters, you know, really with all the seasons, man, we start September and it's like one opener after another after another for almost three months. Yeah. And there's something about an opening weekend. I mean, obviously hunting or pheasant hunting is the big one, but the opener of East River Deer is a big darn deal. West River Deer opening is a big darn deal. Antelope hunting, big deal opening weekend. Right. Waterfall hunting is a big deal opening week. I mean, there's yeah. you can almost go two months straight with an opener every right. weekend of some sort or another. And at one point in time, I think some folks are just like, 
I'm almost burned out to a certain right. degree. Because I'm out of annual, and my wife's mad at me. Right. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but late season hunting is different. There's no yeah. diff- There's no doubt about it. It's different. But I think more and more people are understanding what yeah. late season pheasant hunting can be and what mm-hmm. it's about. And, uh, and uh, you know, honestly, somebody that comes back late season almost has a second opener because it's way different than yeah, that third right. weekend of October, especially you come back after Thanksgiving. Yeah. Well, I think I, I, I may have mentioned it on a, on a previous edition, but I, I probably should just cover my bases. But if you are thinking about a late season hunt, and I mean late, late season, because it goes through, what, January 6th six, six this yep. year? Is that what it is? But yep. if you do buy your license after December 15th, 15th, right? you right. can – so it's broken up. Uh, how, how the license works is you get two five-day periods yep. in South Dakota, mm-hmm. and you can – You'll use your first, your one five. I mean, you can use it all, <laughs> but right. if you make it out for one trip uh, between December fifteenth and the close of the season, you use your one five day period. And then, if you want to come back next year, you can just save that second five day right. period for next year. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Come back on the opener, hundred and first yep. season. Yeah, we're still fighting about that. It'd be the hundredth anniversary, the hundredth season. I think is how is that, is that <laughs> why you hundred first season? I don't know. Is that why when I said pheasantennial, you you're kind of like well, I, I think we use pheasantennial when when pheasants got introduced. That was hmm. the pheasantennial, like in in two thousand eight. I think I'm running with it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm off and running. Right, right. Yeah, you go. Here, here's the thing. Okay, this is. I'm not gonna be around for the next one, okay? Two hundred, the two hundredth anniversary. Right. So it's happening now. Right. We're talking okay. about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm with We're you. just doing it. We're with you. We're with you. You know, you you'll can... be here for the quasi though, won't you? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's like Chislick. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> you know. So let's t- let's talk about you, Jokers, and 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 the Rooster Road Trip. Um, sure. Where you hunted <laughs> yesterday? Where? Uh, let's see. I got. I got to get it straight. Opener. Um, well, we went out. We did the grasslands, obviously. Right. Um, you know, just part of that was, you know, we couldn't. We were antsy after a eight-hour drive. Right, we wanted right, to just right. get out and get, you know, get the dog stretched out. And uh, and then we hunted that walking area in the afternoon, mm-hmm. and that was south of the grasslands a little bit. Nice cover. We didn't actually push a bird out of it, but. Um, there were three three sides of crops on it. And it was right. mid afternoon. We didn't have high expectations, right. but right. Uh, like I said, we 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 felt like contractually obligated to be pheasant hunting at that time. Right. Yes. you know, yeah. we, we've got a truck that's got a bunch of logos plastered on it, and if people saw us sitting at Arby's, right, which is I think what <laughs> we were thinking about doing, like just wait for the golden hour, yeah. that we would have caught a bunch of craft for right. it, and you know, diehard somebody would have taken a picture of right. us, right, and then yeah. posted it like, right. you know, on Facebook or Instagram, like sleeping. These guys track. are really, really right. killing it from the roost. Diehards, right? Um, and then we went out and hunted a game production area uh, about a half hour from pier, and we saw quite a few birds last night. They were just. They they tended to be the wrong color, you know, a lot of hens, um, but the dogs got a lot of work and we got a few shots and, uh, and one in the bag. And so it was, um, it was a very enjoyable day, you know, and we were also, you know, we didn't hit it. We got to hunt all week. Right. And we're, I wouldn't say we're remarkably, um, flush with dog power. I mean, we have, 
We have five hunters. That's where have, I was going next. What what kind of dogs are you running? Sure. Uh, so we have uh, – I have two English Cocker Spaniels, and um, my, my colleagues, Andrew Andrew Vavra, director of marketing, and Logan Hinners, our, our graphic designer, they each have a lab. And then Emmy, Emmy Marrier, who is our membership specialist, she has a, a flat-coated retriever. What are we up to now? That's five. That's five. I guess we have six because I have a – my sister has an English setter, and I have I'm, I'm, I have that in tow as well. Right. So we have a half dozen dogs. But Lux, Lux who's his, Emmy's dog, is um, he's actually injured, and he can't hunt until Monday. So that's why I guess right. I've been thinking five. So he'll, he'll, uh, he'll come out um, tomorrow. Um, so we'll be back up to full strength. He had a little eye injury. So we've got, it's mo- it, it's mostly flushers. You know, right. we got the, the one pointer. Um, but you know, that's, uh, I, I, I think like at first, at first blush, it's like, well, you guys are in good shape, but you know, things they just happen. They were all fast. Yeah. They, yeah. These, it's these trips I've seen it before. You know, degrees, the other yeah. thing is, is that, um, you know, uh, Logan, Andrew, and I have done this trip five years in a row, and our and and their dogs and my older dog, you know, they're they're not like the spring, the spring chickens no. they once were. That's 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 the thing we've all kind of been lamenting is that um, I think I think Andrew's dog is is the, is the is the elder statesman of the of the of the crew, canine crew, and and she's like eight, and then my elder spaniel is seven and i think logan's is like six but or seven and they're all in that age where i think they're like in their hunting it it just it creates kind of like this this uh um kind of weird um just dichotomy inside yourself where you're looking at them it's like they're they're probably hunting the best they ever will but their recovery time they just don't bounce back like i didn't even hunt i didn't even hunt um my spaniel today my my older one just because right. she hunted last night and was just she goes so hard and she's just and i have a couple other dogs so i didn't need to force it but she just looked beat and it just right. bum, it bums yeah. me out oh. so bad to see him yeah. like she hunts as good as she like i said is she's hunting as good as she'll ever hunt right this is it this is her absolute prime and so i'm trying to enjoy that but she just doesn't bounce back like right. that two or three year old dog, and I'm sure you guys have seen. And, that. and we talk yeah. about that all the time. Mark and I have a have dogs that are that are from the same litter, and they look, I mean, almost identical. And I think it was last year at the beginning of the or about halfway through the season, I was like, man, that dog, she's just, you know, she's she's beat. And he goes, well, they're eight. And I was like, no, they're only six. <laughs> and Mark just looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, oh man, I lost two years there. <laughs> yeah. You know, they and they do hunt smarter, but you know, you're talking to, you know, Pierre isn't a, necessarily a lab town like most of South Dakota is because of the grouse. And right. but you're talking to lab guys, so that's that's the only reason. My gra- my grandpa was a six foot eight, three hundred forty pound German that raised labs, and he would say, "There's three kinds of dogs." There's yellow, there's brown, and there's black, and everything else is a barn dog. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so when I moved to Pier, and I'm just like, look at that short hair, you know, 80 miles an hour going back. It's like, how do you keep that dog in the house? <laughs> oh, we don't keep him in the house. It's no. like, well, why, no. why would, you know, so. But, no, I, I, I get it, and it, and it is, I mean, that thing about the dogs is they just don't live long enough. No. No. Well, that, that's well, that's what we were talking about uh, as we were killing time this afternoon is that it – uh no it was the guy at the gas station that's who i was talking to he was he was uh he was an old guy himself and he had an old dog 
And the thing is, it doesn't matter how old you are. You could get a dog when you're 80. That dog is going to outpace you in years at some point. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Is like right. you do that that multi- that that multiplier of seven, and so that's what happened to me too. Right. I'm having like probably that mi- that early midlife crisis where it's like my dog passed me like in the last right. year, yeah. like age wise. You know, I was thinking I was getting gray, and then I looked at my dog, and she's like a month was just grayer right. than I was, and it's like. Why is this happening to me? Right. Right. Why am I here? Right. You know. Yeah. yeah. So it's. But we are. Uh, we are enjoying the. We cool. are enjoying the, the. The time. You know, seeing these dogs as smart as they'll be. They've right. got. They've got the game figured out as good as they ever have. And so, yeah. And then today we. Um, we bounced back and did that. That uh, community-based access. Walk in and then hunted a nice game production area tonight. And. You know, now the thing is, we have lots of options for tomorrow. Right. And that's what we're going to be doing all week is we're, uh, you know, um, uh, zigzagging our way from pier over back to the um, that eastern border with Minnesota right. and hunting um, public public land, public access, public habitat the entire way. Right. So awesome. how many years has this rooster road trip been going on? This this is number eight. What? It's been what? eight already? Eight. What? Wow. What? uh yeah, Andrew, Andrew's bull was that, you know, he's, that's kind of one of his claim to fame. His, his bull was like a six-month-old puppy or yeah. something. I remember it coming yeah. out with that one. I was what, on that first one. What, what's the genesis of it? I mean, what was the, I mean, I'm sure it's probably, uh, I mean, I've watched it and listened to it and, and kind of watched it transform, but what was the idea behind it? Just yeah. I, I think, an awesome you know, trip and we're going to go, woohoo, you know? I mean. <laughs> you know, we we wanted to just do some event uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a couple components, but if I pared it down, it's like, we, we wanted to do an event that, um, probably just appealed to, you know, we were like, Andrew and I were like in our early, earlier twenties at right. that time. And we wanted to do something that just, I think appealed to like the people that we knew. Right. But we were also just, um, so that was one. Number two is just, uh, there's, there's a distinction like people make that distinction about public lands, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. y- 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 like it's like, it's, it's an addition. It's like, um, like a suffix, right. <laughs> you know, like, well, I got these birds on public land, on public land you know, right. people right. would send me photos. Like we worked hard for these birds, but got them on the golden hour on public land. Right. I mean, it, people are proud of that fact, you know, that, uh, um, that they have access to it, that they own it, right. that, you know, maybe in some cases it is harder to find the birds because they've been pressured. There's a lot of reasons, right. but it's right. a thing, right? Right. right. Um, and then the last one was, um, you know, that I think there's, uh, I don't know that this has gone away a lot. Um, Andrew talks about this because uh, I know this was one, one of his motivations is that, you know, we, we just, you know, part of it's just prove it, you know, like, that that a- that apathy or um, that indifference, like right. you know, that this stuff is out there. There can be more of it. We can restore it. You know what what we have, we can restore. We can create it. We can be proud of it. Right. But it can be productive. It's good hunting. Like right. just because you don't own land, uh, it, like you know, Andrew doesn't own land. I don't own land. <laughs> right. Well, I own nine tenths of an acre in yeah. the Twin Cities, but. It's it's unproductive burden. Like, right. Don't don't let that don't let that be a limitation. And right. So it, part of it was right. prove it. Like we want to showcase success because success breeds success. Right. Right. You go to South Dakota. Like we're not we're not real big on secrets. Right. 
you know, I guess if you want to call me up and, um, you know, I don't want to hotspot too much, but if you want to drop me a note and ask me after the trip where we're going, I'll probably tell you, right. you know, right. there, yeah. there isn't a big secret. We're not, we want to showcase like that. You can go out, you can find that. That's, that's one of the things I probably don't mention enough too. And, and when we talk about public land, probably because of the way it's managed has, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of private land. There's more mm-hmm. private land out there and a lot of private land is great habitat but public land is typically great habitat you know i think about the piece we were at tonight game production area Mm -hmm. there was grass diverse grass probably supporting lots of species um including pheasants different types of grass there were a few managed food plots in there different Mm -hmm. types we had uh corn i think there was a sunflower plot there were tree belts um, you know, I'm not a biologist. Well, I guess you're not either. You've retired, but I'm just kidding, Tom. But, you know, it, you know, from, from my, uh, you know, my barstool biology eyes, it's like, this has everything, you know, you try to think like a pheasant, like right. this is, so that's the thing it's, and, and most of what I hunt is public land. And most of it seems in my eye, well, there's birds there. So I'm, I'm equating that to be pretty high quality habitat. Right. And I think that's the thing is it's, I guess the point I'm trying to make is it's not secondary habitat, like public land. And that, that's probably one, I guess, one of our motivations early on too, is that it's not second rate. If you're hunting public land, you're not down on the totem pole, you know, right, it's, right. it's great stuff. Yeah. Sometimes the pressure's different at times of the year you get opening weekend mm-hmm. or what, but it's as good as it gets and it's there. In some cases you own it, in some cases um it's it's access. Um but uh you know, it's public access which is a bit different, but um you know, you you've got that access to it and 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 there's been more programs that you know, it used to just be walk-ins, right? Mm-hmm. And now there's habitat components tied to those. So habitat is that that high quality habitat is a common thread there and um you know uh, I think we're trying to weave that in a bit more right. as we, as we, right, right. you know, as this thing takes on its eighth and hopefully more iterations. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It, it is interesting. I mean, it, and we talk about it all the time and, and, you know, you just see so much of this and we call it in the office jokingly horn, horn porn, you know, where it's like <laughs> the success is ultimately this giant trophy, right. Or whatever. And it, it and it leads, it can lead to some um, unrealistic expectations. And I think it was three, maybe three years ago, or even maybe even the year before where I was looking at your guys' stuff. And, and I was just like, this is, this is how we hunt. This is how we do things. And, and a successful day doesn't necessarily mean, you know, 50 pheasant flushes and, and, you know, three guys with nine birds. It, it It's, those other things that are tied into it and i was just like yeah this is this is how we hunt this is how i hunt you know when yeah, i go yeah. out so that i mean that's the the thing that probably caught me the most yeah. on that and so it's cool i mean it, there's not a lot of that out there so i mean i think that's where it sticks well sticks, and it's yeah. well well done but i mean the, and you know like you're talking about the horn porn but i, I call it the grip and grins right but when you go actually talk to hunters that's the least part of why they hunt is that that harvest but we don't do a good job of showing that off right 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 you know and so i get questions all the time from non-hunters well i just see these pictures of guys holding dead stuff 
Okay. I'm, that's just not my thing. And I'm like, well, right. that's such a small part of why right. we're out here doing it. Come out with us and see the other side of it. And it's, right. This is a chance where we can show a lot of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well. Yeah. Right. We, we by right. we by no means have like laid into the birds yet right, on right. this trip. But I will say like <coughs> we haven't really we that hasn't really like taken away from our satisfaction. Right. You know, right. I mean, yeah, we're on work. Don't don't get me wrong, but um man, we took like we took a, a scenic drive from here down, you know, to our spot near Kennebec, kind of this, I guess, the back road, you know, right. like through right. the lower Brule. Mm-hmm. I'd never been there. Just amazing. Just right. beautiful. Um, you know, we're all dog owners. So, like, the dogs have all got to flush a lot of birds so far. Like I said, they've just mostly been hens. Doesn't bother me. They're getting their work. It's just the beginning of the right. season. We're going to hunt for right. 85 more days. Um, we're, we're getting to hang as a group. You know, right. we're all – we're coworkers, but we're we're all like friends too, right. and so this is, um, you know, it, it almost. <laughs> I'm we're we're gonna work our butts off this week, but it has kind of a, it has like that getaway feel, right. A little bit, um. So we're all, we're just enjoying those those aspects, but like Jake was saying, I mean, you know, I this is the eighth year we're doing it, and the pre, you know, they kind of follow a script, and that is like I think a real a representation of what, you know. I don't want to say average. That's not the right word, but like that, you know, a typical, typical, um, that a typical upland hunter would find if they hunted on a five day or seven day trip. And that's like, and this is this like, I'm cataloging the seven years here, but I'll use like last year in Montana as Mm -hmm. an example. And I, I suspect this week will probably follow suit. And that's that we, we might have a couple days where they just bust things don't break. Right. Does, you know, doesn't mean we're totally skunked, but, right. you know, that's just hunting, as they mm-hmm. say. And they've said it, you know, probably since, you know, Adam and Eve shook hands or whatever. And then <laughs> and then you get a couple days that are, uh, you know, probably middle of the road. I mean, if you're trying to, like, rate success. And then you get a couple days that are just you hang your hat on and you remember for the rest right. of your life. Right. And that's just how it goes. And, uh, you know, so um, – and I think people can identify with that, you know, that, you know, it seems real to them when you're, when you don't have, if we would have, sh- if we would have shown them, uh, you know, 15 pheasants today and 15 tomorrow. Nah. You know, right. Been like, that might've seemed like just out of sorts. Right. You know, but this is, this is, um, we're working for it. Right. We're working very hard for it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Good. You should. Yeah. That's why it's hunting. Well, you're yeah. not giving up any hot spots for the rest of our trip, so we'll just we'll slide we'll slide we'll slide, we'll slide past that one. What do, what do you guys do when you wrap your pot? It's a it's it's also it's kind of my new term, a thing. But it's it's a thing to kind of wrap up podcasts with like a little like a little shtick. You guys do anything yet? No, I I started out. I start our podcast with a little bit of shtick that I do, and then I use some music from a band that I was in. Some kids from Britain. That I got permission to use their music, and then I, I tie it all back in. Usually, I'd, I'm uh, I'm so sick of hearing my own voice that I'm just like, nah, whatever, we're done. <laughs> nah, usually wrap it. A lot of times we wrap it up with what's coming. You know, what's coming up with East River Deer, West River Deer. Or, you what? know, Antelope season's closing here pretty soon, or that what's kind your, of stuff. What's your band name? 
the van that I'm in now is called the Side Hackers, but it should have been live bait because every gas station in town would advertise for me. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you won't change it. No, I won't change it now. My bowling team is live bait now. But You know, so there's yeah. been some great bands that have changed their names early on. You're, you're like too far along. It's got too uh, much it got the, the hardest thing, the hardest things in the world to do is name a dog and name a band. I've gotten into more fights about those two subjects than anything. Yeah, be like on Parks and Rec where they change the name of the band every month. <laughs> right. Heavy Gravy and the Meat Sweats is yeah. the great band name that I always thought would <laughs> should have been and should have been and could have been, but No, we don't we don't have any shtick. It's just me and I'm what, finally get tired of hearing myself talk. So What what would you uh if you formed a new band? Not that I'm implying that your current band is going to, like, you know, right. disband or anything or, like, uh, um, you know, like, go Stone Temple Pilots or something right. and just, you're not, you're not into drugs or anything right. like that. No. But if you, <laughs> I'm too tired. Yeah. <laughs> I work too much. But, but if, if you were, if you're going to just form a new band, what would that band name be? That, I, it would probably be, like, Live Bait or, <laughs> Live Bait is a great one. I have the logo and everything. Um. We we just you know like duck blind or steel shot or something like that. I mean, uh, Huey Lewis and the Nudes would be one, but that's already kind of kind of a cover yeah. band, kind of taken. Yeah, no, I don't know. It's it, seriously the hardest thing to do is is get a good dog name and get a good band name. Maybe I think that's what fights. we should end on. We should just go around the table, like just like it doesn't have to. I'll say rapid fire, but it doesn't have to be like rapid because you get like a few seconds to think about it. But like Mark Norton, like. Like dog name and then band name. Oh, those are good. Hmm. So the next dog name? Or, yeah. yeah. Oh, that is going to be tough. This is going to be rapid fire, I don't right. think. No. <laughs> well, you guys are killing me. I thought Klein, Klein, <laughs> Klein will be my next dog name. Klein will definitely. All my dogs are music, music names, so it would be Klein. And, you know, yeah, like I always just thought like duck blind or muskrat or something like that. But, you know, I don't know. For me, Tommy, you got anything? I don't have anything for a, a band name, but our current dog is Tuka Rask, so I don't know what right. our next one's going to be. So, hockey, hockey, big Ho- time hockey player, big time hockey. Yeah, yeah. Jet named that dog, yeah, right? My son Jet named it Tuka Rask, so I'm not sure what the next one will be. Your band name could be Tommy Kirschman and the former biologist. Former biologist. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Mark <laughs> Norton and the Farm Bills. <laughs> You know, they would be original. Would how about be. how about Morlock over here? Let's. Uh, you're you're gonna you're thinking you're already thinking dog. Right. I'm already thinking dog, and I uh, always want a dog named Murphy. I don't know why, Pete's but I always call him Murph. Right. You know, my first dog to go on Tommy's line was Puck. Mm-hmm. Everybody was like, so like Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet. Sure. And I'm like, you don't know me if you're asking me that. I'm like it's about a hockey puck. Right. <laughs> so. Band name? God, I don't know. Me and my bite are always joking. When a fitting name would be th- this end up, but I have the logo always flipped the wrong right, way. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> that'd be bad. us. That's not bad. That's a good cover band name. Yep, I like it. What that's about you? Good. You're shooting it out. I mean, he's he's gonna be the Chislicks now, right? Yeah. yeah, that actually isn't that actually isn't bad. You know, I well, <laughs> that's good. I I had a buddy in high school. I I think Tom Petty's great road music. So I'm, maybe I won't say a band name, but I'll I'll say this that uh, I tend to like band names like this, and that it's because my buddy mentioned that uh, 
we were driving along and he said, you know, Tom Petty wouldn't be bleep without the heartbreakers. So I, you, you put your, you put your word in there. Right. Like give that backup band a little, give them a little credit. Right. Like Tom Petty and the heartbreakers. Right. Like I like yeah. that. Like, yeah, uh, and the, right. and the, so yeah. I just like band names like that. Right. I'm going to name my next dog soda. So I got Sprig Smidge and I, you know, I'm doing that thing where I just, that thing where right. you just like name them with S's, you know, it's kind of cheeky, right? but mm-hmm. I'm just going <laughs> to, yeah. So, well, <laughs> I guess I didn't enunciate, but if I, if I, I could name it soda, like soda pop soda with the T is, but if I name it soda with a T, it's like Minnesota, right? you know, so I, and I'll probably do whatever one Jake was going to do, so I just have it right. first and steal yeah. it. Sorry. It, right, exactly. It doesn't, You're going to go get a thing. dog. I got a dog to sell you right now. Here's the thing. We had we had two scouts in the field today. It like doesn't matter, right? right? You can just you name your dog what you want to name it. So that's, Guy, Yeah. The guys I hunt with now, we have three puppies. One is Nona, Lola, and uh, what the heck is the third one? And they're all, they all just come running when you yell because it's all so close, and we just – Everybody just yells and they come back. All three of them come back. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, if we ever get a, you know, I don't know, maybe uh, if we do like a game fishing park slash slash PF band, we could call it Chris Hall and the Flying Ringnecks or something oh, like God. that. We'll work like on it. that. You know what? If you have a good if you have a good band suggestion, send them in. Just send them in. Right. Yeah. You can contact us on. Oh, there's a million entry points: <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, right. email. Get a hold of us. Uh, w- fax machine. Yeah, fax machine. <laughs> snail mail doesn't matter. We're gonna we're gonna go tour some some public land and publicly accessible land. What are you guys up to this week? Probably working. Uh, I, I think we're gonna <laughs> implying try. that we're not working. No, I, <laughs> that's fine. Like, for as bad as you know, for as bad as we all want to be out there, and, and just October is just. In fact, I just talked to Secretary Hepler after you guys hunted with him, and he's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm at work. And he goes, oh, you're stacking up hours so you don't have to be in tomorrow? I was like, no, I'll be in tomorrow. But No, All I right. think I might I might actually fish this week This week, sometime. The weather's really Good nice idea. and the fish are going. So. We've got another big event this weekend. It's the annual Governor's, Governor's Pheasant Hunt. Governor's that Pheasant is a big hunt. thing. It is mm-hmm. huge. Yep. Was that is that the kind of one that started it all? Governor's pheasant openers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Mickelson started that, Mickelson. right? Yeah. So the rest are just kind of imitations. Sure. I just was like, just at, I was just at the Minnesota one. It was a very nice event. I've actually never been to the South Dakota one, so maybe next year I'll uh, I'll weasel my way into that. We, we could probably figure figure out. We'll, we'll send you we'll send you to <laughs> Belfouche or something. Or, or I just want to <laughs> yeah. top of Harney Peak, <laughs> Black Elk Peak. Sorry, I'll come next year if it's on my way to Lemon. Right, right Matt. Yeah. So, all right. Oh man, this has been fun. South Dakota game fishing parks are great hosts. It's a it's a great state to be in at a at a great time of year. So, uh, thanks for listening and uh, a good luck to all you hunters who yeah, are headed man. to South Dakota this fall. Right. Thank you, guys. Good stuff. All right. See ya.